0: Samuel together an Old Testament book about King Saul King David but then we've taken a break for the Christmas season but still drawing out of that theme of shepherds that that David was a shepherd before he was called to be a king and of course in the Christmas season we see the imagery of shepherds and sheep Um, and so we've looked at several passages relating to this theme and today we come to probably one of the most famous shepherding passages outside of Psalm 23 that we use to launch this series. And this is John chapter 10. And so if you if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn with me to John 10. There are Bibles in front of you as well in the seat that you can turn there as well. This is New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the the fourth biography of Jesus in the New Testament. And today we're going to be looking at verse 7 through verse 15. You may notice in your bulletin it says verse 1 to 18, but I'm actually going to narrow the focus slightly from what's printed there and focus on verse 7 through verse 15. Again, this is John chapter 10, and remember that John was one of the the disciples of Jesus one of the the beloved disciples and that he is relating this eyewitness account of what he saw and what he heard from Jesus within his ministry so again John chapter 10 and I'll begin reading in verse 7 so Jesus again said to them truly truly I say to you I am the door for the sheep i am the good shepherd i know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me i know and i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep this is the word of the lord let's pray father we Thank you that Jesus is the door, the good shepherd. And Lord, as he guides us in his shepherding ministry, we need to be guided to even understand what is written here, that that this is the living, active word of God that is read and proclaimed. But because of our narrow spiritual vision, because of the hardness of our hearts, often we want to make your word say what we want it to say instead of really hearing what you have said through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that the Spirit will work in our hearts, that he will give us understanding, that he will give us ears that can hear, and that we can respond in faith and obedience to your word. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The most important question that we can ask this Christmas Eve and tomorrow on Christmas, and really the most important question that we can ask at any point within the year, is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus of Nazareth? That at this time of year, when you're in the grocery store, you may hear a song talking about Jesus. You may have a nativity set on your table or by your Christmas tree that we see this imagery of Jesus around us. We talk about Christ, Mass, Christmas, but who is Jesus? It's the most important question that we can ask. And as we look at this passage today, we see Jesus giving this Window into his true identity. And we see these two I am statements. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Now, if you were to read the book of John from beginning to end, you would discover that there are seven I am statements within this book. And they're very significant, both in the the insight they give into who is Jesus, um, but then also just theologically because of that phrase, I am. If you remember at the beginning of this short mini-series, we looked at the 23rd Psalm where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And we said that the Lord, that capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, is how we see the the Hebrew word Yahweh represented, that it's the the special covenant name of God, and that the word Yahweh means I am. I am who I am. It's how God revealed himself at the burning bush. And so when Jesus reveals himself as the I am, it's proclaiming his divine identity, his, his identity as Yahweh of the Old Testament. But then we see more from that. And so today we're going to look at that who is Jesus question, and we'll see first that Jesus is the door of the sheep. So look again in your Bible at verse 7. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So you see this image that Jesus is using of the, the sheep fold. That there's the, the sheep, the flock. The flock. And that flock represents the true people of God. There's the the fence that shows being brought into relationship with God. Those who are in relationship with God, those who are out of relationship with God. You see the, the image of the door. This way into true relationship with God, into the true flock of God, the people of God. And Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way into the people of God. I am the way into true relationship with God. And he says that those who try to come in a different way are thieves and robbers. That they, they jump over the fence, but because they jump over the fence, they're not part of the, the true Flock. And that's speaking to those who try to, to come into relationship with God in any other way than through Jesus. And so if you were to boil the, the image down, it's saying that Jesus is the only way to God, into relationship with God. And Jesus says the exact same thing in another I Am statement. Later in the book of John, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, that I am the door of the sheep. But this can be an unpopular idea, especially in modern culture. And maybe some of you feel that this morning. You say, well, wait a second. How could Jesus be the only way into relationship with God? That that seems narrow-minded. And maybe some of you would even say that you would never want to, to believe in a religion or in a Savior that, that claimed to be the only way, to be the door into relationship with God. And maybe you're familiar with some of the the illustrations that people use for this that that there are many teachers even in seminaries that will say that god is like a, a mountain that there are many paths to the top and it doesn't matter which path as long as you get there or people might say that god is like an elephant and that each religion is like a blind man touching the elephant and one says, well, it's a snake, but it's really the trunk. Another touches the, the leg of the elephant and says it's a tree. Um, but they're all getting at an element of God. that, that Perhaps you've come across that idea either in, in books or in conversations with, with friends and with family. And so how do we think about that teaching in light of what Jesus says here, that I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Well, in, in part, I was helped by a great book by a pastor named Tim Keller. Uh, it's called The Reason for God, where he addresses objections to Christianity that he faced as a pastor in New York City, and this is the first one that he addresses. How could there only be one way to God? And he talks about that elephant image, and he says that, that the problem with that image is that the person who's describing it is standing on the outside, that they're, they have this absolute position to be able to, to judge the whole thing and to see, oh, well, it's an elephant, as opposed to being one of the blind people themselves touching the elephant. But then also you have to consider the, the premise of, of it to begin with, that, that w- when it comes to religion, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around one way. But that's not true for other areas of life. And I've used this illustration before, some of you may have heard it, but it's so helpful that imagine if there was a raging fire out in the lobby and the way out is blocked in that direction and I said, hey guys, there's a a staircase down the back here, let's escape out. There is a way of escape from the fire. Then in that moment you wouldn't say, well I never listened to somebody who says that there was only one way. Uh, that, that is very narrow-minded. There always must be more than one way I reject what you're saying out of hand. That no, there is a way of escape. That's the good news. Or if you had a terrible disease, a, a terminal illness, and you didn't think that there was a cure, and then you went to your doctor and they said that thankfully researchers have been doing work and finally there is a medicine that you can take that will make you better. That you wouldn't say, well, I will never listen to a doctor who tells me that there is only one medicine to make me better. There must be many medicines, and so I'm going to refuse to take the medicine because there are many ways to get better. And so you see that, that often when it comes to spiritual matters, we assume that there, may, there has to be many, many ways. But when it comes to other areas, we are more comfortable with there being just one way. But when you consider Jesus, he is the eternal God incarnate. He is God coming on to the the scene of this world, taking on himself a true human nature. That that he is the only one who lived a perfect life, who who died a sacrificial death for us on the cross. And then we see the, the good news of him being the one way. Because I think often when, when people hear the idea that Jesus is the only way to God, it seems maybe narrower or almost like bad news. But then you look at what Jesus says in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so you see that promise. He says he will be saved because every other religion apart from Christianity teaches in one way or another that that we are the ones climbing the mountain, that that we are the ones who are doing the good deeds to work our way up to God. But then there's always the question of Mark, have we done enough? Are we doing enough to, to make our way to the top of the mountain? But the, the whole point of Christianity is that it's not us climbing the mountain to God, but it's God coming down from the mountain to take on a, a true human nature to suffer in our place so that we can be saved. And that, that Jesus accomplishes our salvation for us in a way that we never could. And so we can have certainty then that if we enter in through Christ— that we're not wondering, well, maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not saved, maybe I've done enough, maybe I haven't done enough, that we have the promise that if you enter through Christ, that you will be saved. It's exactly what Jesus says in John six forty seven. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And so this morning, do you believe in Jesus? Then you can say, I have eternal life. You're not wondering if you've committed enough or if you have done enough religious ceremonies or if you've been good enough in and of yourself that if you have Jesus, if you have put your trust in him, that you can say with complete certainty, I have eternal life and I have the, the promise of Jesus that we see in our text in verse 10. Look at what Jesus says. Why did he come into the world? He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so this idea of Jesus being the only way is, is it's not to make us feel bad, but it's actually to to make us rejoice in the hope that that he came that we might have life. That when we enter through Jesus, we have life. And he says, abundant life. And that doesn't mean we don't suffer in this life. But even in the midst of our suffering, we have this abundant hope of eternal life. Then we have the ultimate promise that, that Jesus, the door, will bring us to the Father ultimately, to the new heavens and the new earth, to the the hope and joy that we have in him. So again, who is Jesus? That Jesus is the door. But then we see another window into the identity of Jesus here. Because in a sense, this, this image of the door of the sheep is a more impersonal image. That yes, it, it shows what it is to enter into relationship with God, but a door doesn't love. A door doesn't serve. A door doesn't sacrifice. Maybe a door protects in one sense, but that's only passively once it's shut. And so Jesus then, he, he still is in the, the imagery of sheep and shepherds, but then he, he switches the image. Look in your Bible at verse 11. After being the, the door, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And so here we see Jesus not only as a shepherd, but the shepherd, not only as the shepherd, but the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd of God's people. And you see what what he does for his people in verse 14. Look there again in your Bible. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. I know my own. That Jesus knows the sheep. That this morning he knows your joys. He knows your sorrows. He knows your fears. He knows your pain. He knows what keeps you awake at night. He knows your feeling of shame. He knows your feeling of pride. He knows everything about you, and yet he loves, he serves, he lays himself down, But then look at verse 14 again. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. So the shepherd knows you, but do you know the shepherd? Have you repented and trusted in him, been brought into relationship with this good shepherd who cares for you and loves you and knows you? So he knows us, but then also look at what it says In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is taking this imagery of of sheep and shepherds, and he's pushing it to its limit of believability. Because you can think in the Old Testament of somebody like David, who was a shepherd, and it talks about how when, when the bears came or the lions came, he would fight off the wild animals to protect the sheep. That a good shepherd like David was willing to risk his life for the sheep. And that's especially remarkable when you think about the the distance between sheep and people. That people, David, was far smarter than the sheep. He was more independent than the sheep. He was stronger than the sheep. He had more inherent dignity than the sheep as someone who is created in the image of God, as opposed to these animals that he was caring for, but yet he was willing to risk his life for his sheep. But David, the good shepherd in the Old Testament, didn't set out to lay his life down for his sheep. That wasn't his goal that he, I'm sure, was trying to preserve his own life in defense of the sheep. But then look at what it says here about Jesus, that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he comes into the world to lay down his life for the sheep. And if there's a distance between a sheep and a person, think of the distance between us and the eternal God, that he is infinitely smarter than us, infinitely stronger than us, infinite more dignity and glory as the creator. Then when you consider the moral distance that you and I are sinners, that we fall short of the glory of God, he is holy, he is morally perfect. But yet this God comes down to take on a true human nature, to go to death for people like you and me who so often wander away and who rebel against him. You can see the the love, the the sacrifice. And that's what we're celebrating today. That's what we're celebrating tomorrow. That we're celebrating the, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his people in suffering and sacrifice. And that's what we see here symbolized and sealed in this meal that the good shepherd sat down with his disciples for a meal, what we call the, the Last Supper. It was the, the celebration of the, the Passover meal with his people. And Jesus gave the, the bread and the wine as a symbol of his suffering and death, of him laying down his life and love and sacrifice for the sheep. And if you're here and and if you've never repented and trusted in Jesus, we are very glad that you're here. But we've been saying that Jesus is the door. Jesus is the, the way to life. And so if you've never trusted in him to then take this symbol of his work for us, would be hypocrisy it would do no spiritual good it would be empty religion which would not profit in any way and so again if you if you haven't trusted in Jesus we encourage you to stay seated as people come forward watch this unfold and we'd love to to talk to you about Jesus and who he is and and to even discuss your your doubts about Jesus to 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 walk through the objections that you may have to the to the person and work of of Jesus. But for the rest, you don't have to be a a member of Hope Church. You don't have to be a member of a Presbyterian Church, but to be one that is in the, the fold of Jesus, who is entered in through Christ, putting, repenting of your sins, acknowledging that you can't save yourselves, trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, one who's made that public by being part of a church that proclaims the gospel, not bound by the action of another church from taking this, but ultimately one that can profess the faith that we hold together. You'll see that printed in your your bulletin. On on page 9, we have the Apostles' Creed. So let's profess this faith together as we come to this meal. Church, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Because on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we encourage you to to come up. You can come down the center aisle here. Come whenever you're ready. Uh, We have gluten-free here if you need it. Um, if mobility is an issue, you can raise your hand and Ernie will be happy to, to bring this to you. But otherwise, come, come through here. I'll break off a piece of bread and give it to you. You can take a cup with the juice, uh, return to your chair, and then we'll take it together at the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Sending Jesus, that, that He is the door. He is the way into true relationship with you and to being counted among the, the p- true people of God. We know that it's not through how good we are, it's not through the ceremonies that we've done, um, it's not through our own effort, but it's, it's only through Jesus and His perfect life and His sacrificial death in our place father we we pray that you would help us not to want to slip over the wall to go a different way to to look towards empty religious ceremonies or to our own performance that that we know that that would make us a, a thief and a robber but but Lord, let us keep our eyes and hearts fully on Jesus as the only hope, the only comfort in life and in death and Father, we thank you that he is the shepherd that that he perfectly knows us. And Father, we thank you for your love that is displayed through Jesus and his sacrifice. And we thank you that he laid his life down for us, that we can have life, that we can have it abundantly. And So Lord, as we, as we take this meal, that we could be reminded of Jesus laying down his life, but then also be pointed forward to the future celebration and feast that we will enjoy with you in the new heavens and, the, and in the new earth. Because of Jesus and what he has done. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's body for you. The blood of Christ. Now, please stand with me and we'll sing Angels We Have Heard on High.